0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Good to see you guys. Some new faces here, too. Um, Welcome to our church if it's your first time. My name is Aiden, a pastor here. Um, Hope you're having a good weekend so far. Uh, We will read from Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there with me. Read from Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through the chapter 4 of verse 1. Starting this week, we'll go back to the book of Philippians that I had been preaching from. Um, And Lord willing, we'll finish this book in the remainder of the summer. Again, Philippians chapter 3 verses 17 through chapter uh, chapter 4 of verse 1. It says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That is God's word. Uh, Please uh, bow your heads with me and let's pray together before we going to the time of the word. Heavenly Father, we sit under your word. What would we be doing, Lord, if you weren't speaking to us? We would be in the dark and we would be um, clueless of what to do and how to live. But because you are a God who speaks even now through times like this. We, with confidence, come before your throne to be encouraged and to be challenged and to be helped by your Holy Word. So uh, be here with us, just like you did to Israelites in the book of Haggai. May your spirit stir up the hearts of the people here. That are in the sanctuary as a, as well as joining uh, through live stream, so that these words may not just be the the words on a page, but that words they are the words that change lives, the words that revive our hearts, the words that bring us back to you, and use me, Lord, as your jar of clay, to communicate your word clearly, so that all of us may hear what you have to say with no reservation. Thank you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So so we will go back to the book of Philippians uh, starting this week. And I just want to remind you of a main theme of this book. The main theme is joy particularly joy in the midst of uh, troubles. If you have been following this book with me, or if you've been reading this book on your own, perhaps you would know that Paul, Apostle Paul is writing this book from none other than a Roman prison. Um, And he's also awaiting a trial, legal trial, that could potentially terminate his life what he keeps saying repeatedly in this book, to rejoice, and that he rejoices himself. So my hope and prayer is that as we study, that we would find this enduring joy as well in the Lord, um, just like Paul is exhorting to us. Today's passage that we just read uh, for this sermon uh, there are three points, as usual, so you can follow with me. First point is the cross-centered example. The, the word cross will repeat here. Second point is the cross-less, cross lives. And third, the cross-centered destination. And the title of this sermon is the cross-centered life. I think I made that very clear. The word cross repeats over and over. You will see why very soon. First point, the cross-centered example. Verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So here Paul is exhorting the Philippian church to imitate him as well as their own members who follow Paul and his uh, pastoral team's example that he set before them in the past. Uh, Actually, this is not the the only time in the Bible where Paul calls others to imitate him. Uh, For example, in 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. So right away, some of us might think that that's conceited. You know, Paul is you know, elevating himself, maybe, and telling others to be like him. Hmm. But however, if you read this in context, you will see that Paul is not trying to promote himself per se, uh, but he's trying to promote rather Christ and how to humbly follow him. That's the goal here. So if you look with me to the earlier part of chapter 3, Paul talked about how he used to be a cruel person, uh, persecuting Christians. And he also said there that in his pursuit of Christ, he is not perfect. But by grace, he keeps moving forward in his spiritual life. So you see, this is not a conceited person talking, right? He's been real and vulnerable about his past weaknesses, brokenness, and current failures about, as, a, as a Christian, as a Christ follower. So rather, rather than being conceited or trying to promote himself, what seems to be happening here is that Paul is using his own life to teach the Philippians the cross-centered way of life. What is it? That means because Christ died on the cross for all of our sins, if you're in Christ, if you believe in Christ, your job is not to perform perfectly in your spiritual life. Your job, rather, is to rely on the power of the cross for your failures and sins along the way and keep moving forward and finish the race before you by his grace. So when the Philippians imitate Paul, like he exhorted to, they can learn this cross-centered way of life. But now, here, they can do that more in a personal, real way. Why? Because Paul is a real person. It's not just a conceptual uh, or concept in the Bible, but because Paul is living these principles the Philippines can, um, you know, experience these things better. You know, recently I found a new hobby. Are you interested? It is landscaping around my house. And if you know me, you'll be surprised because I hate those things. So to clarify, this is my hobby not because I love it, but by necessity because if you look at our lawn right now it's total mess especially with the you know heat wave it's like the lawn is like literally brown right now so just thinking about it right now I'm stressed out but anyways that's my new hobby so pray for me and bless me with that well so i try to you know watch some youtube videos and you know try to like see how to do these things and I ended up following or subscribing to this channel. Uh, not gonna disclose <laughs> the name, I guess. You can you can ask me. I'll tell you. But this guy that runs this channel, he's a lawn geek. He wears T-shirts about the lawn, and he all he talks about and all he does is about the lawn. And apparently he's married, and I started to worry about his marriage because. But based on the time that he spent on the lawn, I don't think he's spending any time with his wife. That's my genuine concern. I'm not his pastor, so I'm not gonna, you know, talk or whatever, but that's his, his passion about this, this thing. But these videos are very helpful. He's an expert, but I found these videos particularly helpful because. He often shares about some of his failures. He's pretty real about what he messed up, right? And he also shows that there is real struggle in the lawn care. It's not a you know ma- math formula. You know, sometimes you fail, right? And here's the thing. You know, I, I think I could have not watched YouTube videos, but just could have bought a book um, and-, and try to you know follow the instruction there. But I think that would be deficient because, you know, if you compare that, the books to videos, people in the videos, they actually show you, th- these are real people showing all these things, how to apply these principles and, again, failures and the real things. And that's what's happening here. Paul is saying, hey, I'm a real person. I'm not just a concept. Follow me. And I'll show you how to follow Christ in a humble way. And if you think about it, that's a powerful thing because that means community is powerful. It's important for us to read the Bible and accumulate knowledge in the Bible, for sure. But uh, applying this principle that Paul has laid out, what this means is, In community, we get to see in each other's lives what God is doing, what God's grace is doing. Each one of your lives are the stories of God's grace. So when I look at you, I can see God's grace and get blessed and encouraged and learn from you. And as we try to imitate each other about these godly things happening, Christ-likeness happening in our lives... We can all grow together as a community. And that's why we're here. That's what the community is for. And that's what Paul is exhorting learn from me, learn from each other. The cross centered example, Paul said. Second point the crossless life, crossless life, lives. So it seems. In the, in the text that Paul is urging the Philippians to imitate him and his cross-centered example because there was an imminent danger. There were people who were not living like that and they were influencing the church. So look, look with me, verse 18. It says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with, even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So, Paul calls these people the enemies of the cross of Christ because, unlike Paul, these people, by how they live, are rejecting the work of God's grace through the cross in their lives. And the next verse spells out for us what this means. So, look with me, verse 19 it says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Right away, the first sentence he says, their end is destruction. I mean, he's saying this with tears, he said in verse 18. He has compassion and anguish for those who do not uh, subscribe to the cross. And he says still, even so the truth is, the consequence of, rejecting God's grace consistently will end up in eternal destruction. That's the end. So now the question we ask is, so what exactly are they doing that they are destined for uh, destruction? So the next three sentences, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset set on earthly things. So there, the words belly, and shame and earthly things all point to human efforts apart from God's work to satisfy their desires so they worship they glory and they fill their minds with these things because they believe that these things can ultimately complete their lives so on the one hand these things could be you know the worldly things that people look for look to for fulfillment, such as you know, careers, romantic relationships, money, power, you know, substances, etc. Right. But on the other hand, another category of human efforts could be religious efforts. You know, where people trust their own moral deeds to earn salvation. In fact, you know, Paul mentioned in the beginning of chapter three these kind of things. Uh, named Judaizers, uh, who looked to their lineage and religious perfection to uh, to use as a bargain chip to gain favor from God. And Paul said he, he used to be one of them. So you see, these different types of human efforts, Paul is saying that all these things that people do for their fulfillment lead to destruction because... These things cannot possibly cover the death of their sins or heal their broken hearts. Only the cross of Christ can cover their void. Only the cross of Christ can satisfy God's wrath against our sins. But pause, to Paul's dismay, these people are firmly sticking to these things apart from God's grace. Uh, there's a story, it's a, I think it's a true story, about a 63-year-old, 63-year-old man in London uh, back in 1994 uh, who needed a bladder surgery. The problem was apparently he had an extreme fear of... Um, doctors and hospitals. So what happened was that he ended up doing a surgery on himself. I don't know what he did exactly, but he did it. But then there was an infection and unfortunately, he died. And uh, later on, uh, the coroner examined the body and he stated that uh, the original bladder problem could have been solved easily solved by a simple operation by a doctor. You see, the enemies of the cross that Paul mentions in the text are doing the same thing. Instead of turning to the the surgeon, the surgery by the cross, they are performing the surgery themselves or are self-medicating. And they're not working. They lead to death. So the question we can ask at this point is, are we in any way Performing any of, the surgery, any of the surgery ourselves, perhaps by putting up a good person or religious person facade, or you know by pursuing after any worldly temporary pleasures, we always do these things. But again, are we doing it consistently, leading us to um, dead end destruction? So that's the cross crossless crossless lies. Thirdly, the cross-centered destination. So now, Paul presents a stark contrast to this earthly remedy that we just looked at. Verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at Ephesians 2, there. Paul pictures a glorious picture. There, you realize when you put your faith in Christ, not only the cross cancels your sins, but also God, it says, seats you along with Christ in heaven. And therefore, spiritually right now, just like verse 20 says, your citizenship, your residence, your country, your base is in heaven. That's your address. What that means is, unlike the earthly remedy that we just looked at, your identity, your security is firm, it's enduring, it's not passing away. And the second part of verse 20, the reason why we have this security in heaven is because Jesus is a savior. I mean, it's obvious, right? It's, it's sort of uh, what we always say, but The thing is, the people, the the enemies of the cross that we looked at, for them, the Savior was not Jesus Christ. Ultimately, they themselves and what they did in their human efforts were their saviors. But for those of us in Christ, Christ is the Savior, and He will, for real, in the end, deliver us from the final judgment. So what that means in verse 20 is that in the present and in the future, we are secure. We are safe as if God put us in a safe house. And then verse 21, it says, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that that enables him even to subject all things himself. So upon saving us from the final judgment, Jesus will now bring us to the perfection that we have been longing for. What that is, is that physically we would be perfect. Meaning that we said spiritually we're in heaven right now, but physically we still are bondage to decay and death. But on that day when Jesus comes back, he will transform our weak mortal body to be like his glorious resurrection body. And and when I say a body, to be clear, I don't mean just, you know, physical body. But I mean your whole being, mental, emotional, spiritual, your whole body will be made new. And that's a good news, right? But let's ask this question together. Why? Why is God doing this? Is that because He just wants us to feel better about ourselves? Just, you know, get better selfies? Or what, what is it? What's the purpose of this renewal, this resurrection? The reason is so that we can fully enjoy Christ. Please get that. That's the main purpose of why we get the new body. Because right now, there is limitation to enjoying Christ because of our mortal body. But with the glorified glorified faculties of mind, we will be able to understand Christ fully. And with the glorified senses, we will be able to enjoy the beauty of Christ The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We will taste it. I mean, you you know one prominent COVID symptom is loss of taste, right? It's, It's almost as if the whole humanity has been having this COVID symptom towards God. That we don't get to taste the fullness of God's beauty. But when we are restored in our resurrection body, God is promising that we will taste Him fully. Think about that. Imagine about that. We will be satisfied. And lastly, it says there's power behind all these things. What that means is what He's promising here is certainty. Because this power Is the power that created the universe. It is also the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And here it says, it's the same power that will make everything bow down before Christ. And this same power will make sure that we will be made new. It is certain. No room for failure. So you see, all these glorious promises, the believers will have it for sure. Simply because they trusted in the power of the cross as opposed to other human efforts. The cross delivered them this amazing gift of eternal life and the resurrection. I think the pandemic hit us in different stages or different ways, but for me and my wife, Deborah, the pandemic hit us right after our son, Seth, was born. So as you can imagine, uh, the the whole year was really hard. Um, if, If you know how, I don't know, raising a baby goes, man, it was hard. Uh, A lot of lack of sleep on top of, you know, uh, Debbie's working full-time. I'm a full-time pastor, and Seth refused to sleep. So it was really tough. So, like, we hardly slept for at least six months or something like that. Uh, But thankfully, around, um, I think, uh, year one mark, my parents volunteered to come over from Chicago and help, them, help us take care of Seth. In fact, they came to do everything for us, to you know, cook, to uh, clean our house, and you know, take care of all the, or fixing different things in our house and everything. What the meant was, Dev and I finally remembered what sleep felt like. We remember, we experienced this thing called sleep. And that was glorious. And it's, all, again, all because my parents were doing everything, literally. We just had to do our work. and you know. But at some point, I felt bad, right? I'm like, oh, man, that's still my parents. They're getting old, and they're doing everything for me and, and for us. So this one day, when they went downstairs to rest, I took care of uh, Seth for some time. And then they came back upstairs and they caught me taking care of Seth. And in response, they they said, kind of semi-frustrated, they said, What are you doing? That's our job. Given to us, you go rest. And again, for two whole weeks, it was like that.
1: I felt like literally God's
0: grace during that time. You see. Once Jesus died on the cross, God the Father's statement to his adopted children is this. Now your sin is my job. It's our job. The Trinity's job. Don't you ever try to deal with it yourself. Give it to me. And you go rest. What that means is, In the present, we can freely pursue after Christ while resting from the condemnation and temptations and all these burdens of sin. And in the future, we will fully rest. We'll have wholesome rest enjoying Christ all eternity long. All because Jesus took care of everything on the cross. He's saying, that's my job, guys. You go rest. That's Christian life. And we'll end with first 1. That's how Paul ends his passage. First 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You know, whenever some words are repeating, that's worth noticing he repeated love twice, right? You know, back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul said that he yearns for the Philippians with the affections of Christ. What that means is that when Paul says, I love you twice to the, the, the church, he's communicating God's heart to the church along with all the other words of affection, you know, you're my joy, you're my cry, I'm proud of you, I long for you. That's all emotions of God towards the Philippians that Paul is communicating on behalf of God. Can we pause and meditate on that before we finish? What that means is, if you truly put your faith on the cross if your identity is on the cross that means you are tremendously loved by the God of the universe do you see God loves you enough that he sent your son to die on the cross for you in love for you and now if you cast all the human efforts and trust your destiny on the cross You no longer have to earn God's love. You no longer have to seek after other loves in this life because you got God's love. That's what the cross means. You are secure. That love will never be taken away from you. That's what trust in the cross can do. Now we can do with... um, Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, we can ask for how long, how far, how deep, how wide God's love is for me. That will never be taken away because Christ took care of everything for me. How great is his love because my security is in the cross. I fear nothing in life. And with Paul, we can say in the verse, I stand firm. Nothing can move me. I am beloved of God. I hope that that's our song every day. We are loved and we can be joyful because of that at all times. Let's pray. Let's spend some time together. Um, I think we all know the cross is a symbol of Christianity. It's everywhere. As a jewelry and as on our books and everywhere. But may that not diminish the magnitude of its meaning in our lives. At the cross, Apostle Paul says in Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And in the body that I live, I live by the Son of God, Who loved me and who died for me. Wow. That's the cross. Cross is our home. When we truly bank our identity on the cross, we can have hope in the future. We can be joyful. We can experience God's love for us. So let's meditate on this cross. The love of God towards us. And we'll finish with the song. Let's pray. We'll pray together, but uh, So again, I just wanna just encourage us to uh, just fix our eyes of our hearts on the cross right now. What the cross is saying is no matter what your family background, no matter what you have done, no matter what you did last night, this morning, during the service, you are loved. Twice in the verse, you are loved, you are loved. Everything is paid for on the cross. I hope you believe that, because that changed your life. As a preacher, sometimes, you know, I can care about what people think. But man, right now realize, wow, I don't have to care about anything because I have everything in Christ. He loves me. Why do I care about anything? You're loved. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you. Maybe some of us have lacked hearing that, that they are loved. But this love is coming from you, the God of the universe. And this love was costly love. The price of your son's death. So we marvel at that and we pray that our hearts would be moved to receive this love and so transformed by it that we'll be able to give this love to others in this community and all around the world, whoever we face on Monday morning. Help us, God. In our natural self, self, we resist your love resist the cross so we need your holy Spirit working in our hearts but thank you for your word thank you for the reminder that you give us day in and day out week in and week out may we stand firm like the, the apostle said at the end in this love in the security of the cross Thank you, Lord, for this time. Let us end together with the Lord's Prayer.